We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, Andy Lister, and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now, leave a message, they will get back to you at 905-529-7165. And check out their website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. You can listen to old shows there and as well ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good, Good morning, to see you Scott. all. Good morning, Scott. Yeah. Starting off with setting up an estate plan. Setting up an estate plan. And I think this is... And every everybody's estate plan is going to be unique and addressing any particular needs they have. In other words, they're all going to be a little bit different. There mm-hmm. is no one cookie cutter estate plan. There's no doubt about that. And I know um, on a show a couple of weeks ago we talked about probate tax planning mm-hmm. and um, the use of alter ego trusts and joint survivor trusts for those over the age of sixty five to avoid probate. And um, and so I had a lot of questions from listeners over the last couple of weeks about that. And um, so there's certainly a lot more detail we could go into, but I want to get more into sort of the basics of getting your estate plan ready. And there's really sort of, uh, you know, five key things I want to talk about. Number one is, do I need a will? Mm. Number two is taxation at the time of death. Number three is probate fees. Number four, power of attorney. And number five, testamentary trusts. And then we'll talk a little bit, just finally wrap it up. Where do I start? How do I get this whole thing going? So the first section, which is, do I need a will? And I mean, from our perspective, the short answer is yes. There are probably a few scenarios where somebody doesn't need a will if you're very young or you have no assets, um, you know, and will. But in general, in Ontario, of course, the province of Ontario has a will for those that die intestate without a will. So there are rules in place to sort of govern how your assets will be allocated if you die without a will. But it's a more time-consuming process and potentially a more costly consuming process, but ultimately it it may end up resulting in things happening you don't want to happen. Mm -hmm. So do I need a will? Um, There's a number of key things here. Guardianship. So guardianship for your minor children is absolutely critical. Mm -hmm. This is something where you do not want, if if you die prematurely, you do not want your minor children held up in a custody battle uh, and at a time of crisis in their life. And so you know, that's a key piece or key component of the will. You want to name a guardian. You also want to name an alternate guardian because if that other person doesn't feel they're up to the task for some reason at the time or the moment when it happens, uh, there's a lot of emotions going on around that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you should have at least two people in mind. Um, make sure you talk to them. Because somebody might out of the gate might say, you know, I'm just yeah. my capacity at this point to bring on two or three or five more children and look after them as honored as I am. I just don't think I'm the best fit. Mm-hmm. So at least you can move on, but you right. want to make sure you've got uh, the okay from those. So again, we end up avoiding some kind of custody dispute down the will down down the way. Um, number two, the will provides you with a personal representative which we often call an executor. So the personal representative is that individual who is going to deal with your affairs after you're gone, and they're sort of that trusted person who's going to be guardian, or sorry, um, the stewardship of your assets to those beneficiaries that Uh you've named within the will. This is obviously going to be a lot more valuable to you versus having a court appointed Uh as as your your personal representative. The court's... um, 
you know, it's a complicated process. Somebody who has to come in after the fact and apply for it uh, to become a personal representative is is obviously going to be another problematic situation. But the bottom line is if you don't appoint a personal representative, the courts are going to appoint one for you, and it may not be the person that you would have chosen. So one of the keys to a personal representative is, number one, are they capable of handling the job? And, you know, you might have a good idea right out of the gate if they're the person that can handle it or not handle it, but um, you should definitely speak to them again. And so I know a lot of times this is where wills get bogged down. People get into this weird, do I really want to tell them that I want them to be my personal representative? Do I really want to tell these people I want them to be guardians? And Mm -hmm. I know it may set up awkward conversations, but at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. ones you have to have. And um, number two is are they resident in your province or territory? And this is critical, and particularly, I mean, people are moving around. Uh, People might retire. They might move to a different country. If you're a non-resident, if you've named a non-resident as your personal representative, they may be required to file tax returns in in the country where they live. They may also be required to post a bond. And a bond is a financial... Um, guarantee that uh, that those that you have the capacity to act in the, in the hands of, of what the value of the estate might be, looking after that money, and bonds are a, a, a posting a bond is something that involves private financing. There are companies where you can buy and sort of insurance to post a bond for the value. Mm-hmm. So if somebody has a million dollar estate, you typically have to post a bond for a million dollars. Not everybody has a million dollars; they can just sort of tie up. Mm-hmm. in the courts to allow them then to operate or continue on with the uh, as your personal representative in the will. Uh, okay, <clears throat> personal representative. Number three is gifts to children. If you're, dis- if you're planning to leave uh, money to children, is it going to be, uh, are they going to get it all at once? Do you want it to be a partial amount? Is it going to be staggered over time? And, uh, and in the case of minors, I think, it always makes sense to customize your will to include a trust mm-hmm. because with minors, uh, the courts can take over uh, and basically you don't have much control and the child doesn't have much control. But more importantly, they're going to get all the money at age 18 at the right. age of majority unless you've implemented something in your will. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times people want a distribution over time in terms of minors or young children. Mm-hmm. And so a classic example might be, you know, they get one quarter of my estate at their share at uh, age 25, a half at age 30, and then the final balance at age 35. So if you think about that scenario, let's say we had somebody who had um, was going to have two children, they're each going to receive $800,000. So it was $1.6 million estate. Uh, based on that formula, at age 25, they would receive 200000 one quarter of the $800,000 value. And then, but this money is going to be invested and it's going to be invested right through to age 35 when they get the final distribution. So that's 10 more years. So at age 30, when they get half, if we just assume, say, a 6% rate of return, that 600 grand has grown to 800 grand. So they're going to get another 400 at age 30. And then that 400, the balance left over, which is 400 grand, again at 6%, by the time they're 35, is 535,000. Mm. So the three disbursements are going to be 200 grand at 25, 400 at age 30, and 535,000 at age 35 for a total of 1,135,000, yeah. not 800 grand, which was the original contemplation. But um, 
the next thing really is then blended families. And blended families and why you need a will is you're trying to balance the difference between your current spouse and your children from the previous marriage Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and making sure that all of those people are going to be looked after. Striking the balance between who gets how much and what is really what the will is going to help you dictate. And um, so in many cases, money might be left in trust for a spouse uh, with the ultimate beneficiaries being the children from mm-hmm. the previous marriage. This, particularly in that case, that's where communication is the key to let people know what's going on, and particularly your current spouse mm-hmm. and understanding. So it's it's not kind of uh, whoever that person is, not sideswiped by says, oh, I didn't expect this. I didn't know I wasn't oh, going to get way. anything. <laughs> yes, and, and so you're making uh, arrangements. It may even be a life insurance policy mm-hmm. to pay things tax-free to your current yes. spouse so that the kids could get other investments. Right. So there's there's ways to go about it, or the life insurance goes to the kids and the RSPs goes to the current spouse, and that would be a tax-free rollover. So a lot of planning involved in that, in particular, just getting it out in the open, because one of those topics nobody wants to talk about. For that matter, Annie yeah. and I tried to run a seminar on blended families, what was that, three or four years ago? <laughs> yeah. And the response was like near zero. Like, really? Yeah, yeah, almost zero. Nobody wanted to talk about the blended family situation. Yet, yeah. we all know that it's something like 50% is the divorce rate. Yeah, yeah. So you know there's lots of blended families out there, yeah. but it's like taboo. Oh, I don't want to talk about that. No, no, honey, we're doing this. This is fine. Yeah. You know, whatever it is. But it is, it's definitely almost a taboo subject. And we, in from a, it's way better to get this in the Maybe open. Maybe you should have had like a marriage counselor come in too. <laughs> that would sort been. of like a, a, you know, a blended financial panel. Yeah, absolutely. Right. <laughs> um, another key reason to have a will is common law couples. And common law couples, basically, uh, generally there's no division of assets when there's a marriage breakdown or uh, at death. There's no spout. There might be spousal relief based on uh, the lifestyle that the person received prior to that person dying. But again, basically, the co- the will will dictate how much your common law partner will receive and in what form they'll receive it. Uh, another reason for a will is, uh, or updating your will, is if you've gone through a separation or divorce. And, you know, key things here, you know, is going to be around beneficiary designation. So often people get caught in leaving the old spouse as a beneficiary, and uh, the courts are pretty much going to side with whatever you put on paper is yeah. the way it's going to be. Uh, another key area would be gifts to grandchildren. So often for our clients now, as they've retired and through their retirement years, they begin to recognize they'd like to be able to help out not only their own children, but their grandchildren as well. And the will is a pretty good tool for doing that, but um, it, it's it can be problematic, but it's such a common thing. So, for example, you might say, your will says, give $10,000 to each of our grandchildren, and then the remainder of the estate to be divided amongst my children, mm-hmm. right? And so the problem could be, well, what if there's grandchildren that haven't been born yet? Uh, one if one child, one if one of your children had four kids yeah. and the other had none, you know, that means that family's getting 40,000 more from the estate than the other family members. Mm-hmm. Is that going to cause a problem? Uh, what if grandchildren are minors when you die? Will they receive the inheritance all at once or reaching the age of majority or even longer? And so basically, unless the, unless a child has died already. So if you had three kids and one of your children has died already, and now you want to make sure that that branch, your grandchildren from that branch, or the, your deceased mm-hmm. child, are going to get their share, then uh, 
you know, generally putting this kind of idea into your will is not a great one. It's better probably just to give it to your kids and let them distribute that money as right. needed down through to the grandchildren. Uh, next, if you've got vacation properties, vacation properties, boy, well, that's problematic because a lot of times a family member, somebody wants the vacation property. Other people don't want it. Maybe nobody wants it, but you want them to have it. Yes. <laughs> there's, there's all kinds of uh, rationale in here. And so if you, let's assume you've got three children and one of them is very attached to the vacation property and they want it. And let's say it's worth th- uh, 600 grand today. The first thing you need to do is estimate what is the after-tax value of your estate and then multiply it uh, times three, right? So if, you, if you've got a $1.8 million estate after-tax, then that's pretty good. You can give six hundred grand cottage vacation property to the one if they want it. The other two each get six hundred grand. Everyone's even in, in square. Uh, a lot of times, though, you know, people don't take into consideration the growth on these, the taxation, and those who are interested in it. But basically, at the time, if you just left it to not one but all of them that are available to have it, if one steps up and says, "I'll take it," then that's their six hundred grand is already looked after. Right. Right. So. Um, the other two, the other key main areas would be uh, beneficiaries with special needs, business owners, and charitable donations. And a little bit later on, I'm going to get into taxation at the time of death. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc., 905-529-7165. Call now. Leave a message. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can be too. Just call. Leave a message at 905-529-7165. They will return your call. And take a peek at their website, andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows there as well. Uh, ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Uh, future. The future is behavioral? Yes. The future of investing is behavioral. And there, and we've talked about this before. You know, Dalbar report showing how you know the the investments may perform at say nine, but the average client was only getting about four or five. So I was in a, a financial planning association um, meeting last week in Chicago, and there's PhD Daniel Crosby, a PhD. His whole topic was behavioral investing, and quite interesting. Took it a little bit further, a little deeper of why, rather than simply the returns of Dalbar versus the returns of of uh, investors versus invest uh, investment returns, very different. But it was very cool because, you know, the, we're really not wired to make money. You go back a thousand years or 10,000 or a million years, you know, we had our brains then. We didn't have a lot of um, front brain working. That's all new brain material. And so our behavior is is fight and flight. Mm. We're, we get scared when the market's down. Mm. And, our, and our behavior... What, in humans literally survived be- based on those behaviors. Yeah. We weren't actually aggressive and wanted to fight anybody unless we had to. We just took off. <laughs> okay, get out of here and survived because of it. Um, and we fought when we had to. But it was interesting. People under financial stress lose 13% of their IQ. As soon as they get under stress, when, whether it's paying their bills, whether it's the investments are going down, whether it's my parents aren't, um, estate and how it's working, and they get under the stress. And how can I how can I get some the old age home all figured out? They actually did a test and it shows their IQ actually gets lower. So it has a very big impact about the way our minds are working, and versus the way we we look at investments. And it was actually interesting. Even they showed a parole officer 
And a parole officer would look through all the details. And if you happen to get your parole officer first thing right after breakfast, you had a great chance you're going to get off. Mm. And as it came co- closer, to, closer to lunch, your odds were going decreasingly less. In fact, almost virtually zero just before lunch. If you saw a person and his lunch was his next thing he was doing, emails would just say, you don't even cancel the appointment. You're, you're going back to jail. And then right after lunch, back, the odds got better. So it looked under feeding. Um, it had an impact on your decision-making. And really, there's three Fs that made people unreasonable. Feeding was one of them. Fighting was the other one. Mm-hmm. And sexual behavior was the third one. Wow. <laughs> okay. There you go. And it really had an impact on decision-making, which also is two investments. So it was interesting dealing with particularly men. Uh, the testosterone effect was is very interesting. And it showed that if they took a, a poll on men, 100% of them, thought they were funnier than the average man. A hundred percent. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, just the three of us. Why are we laughing at that? <laughs> <laughs> Nin- Clearly, we agree. Uh, 94% thought they're better looking than the average man. Yeah. So obviously, these odds are impossible. But it just shows that we have this form of overconfidence. And we have this, and which gets us through a lot of things. You know, having that attitude is important. It doesn't work with investing. And this is where, again, the Dalbar reports all this thing about overconfidence that, oh, I know what to do here. I was looking up at the markets. I was reading this article. This is what the decision is going to be. It actually makes you underperform. And so a perfect example was this person took a, to- uh, a poll and said, you know what? what do, you- do you know how a toilet works? And most men would say, oh, yeah, I know how a toilet works. Okay, could you explain exactly how a toilet works? And then we go, um, uh, well, you hit this button. Well, what exactly do you do? You hit this knob and then, you know, water comes swirling around. And They thought you meant, do we know how to use yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's very humbling because they couldn't. But if you just asked them, they knew exactly how it worked. Wow. But when you had to ask people to that's explain the process, it, yeah. that's the process, it's very different. And the same was work with investments. If you say, oh, you know what small cap stocks are? Oh, I definitely know. Could you describe a small cap stock? Well, that'd be small capitalization stocks that under a certain threshold of size would be considered a small cap. But again, off the cuff, a lot of people would just say, oh, I understand what value investing is. I understand what this is, when actually they don't. And so they can't explain it. And generally speaking, if you can't explain it, you don't know it. Mm -hmm. So a perfect example of uh, probably the worst marketing ploy ever marketing campaign was when new coke came out remember that yeah i do and they just said okay we got this new coke it's the best Mm -hmm. and we're taking the old coke off yeah well people really didn't want um the new coke no and actually in taste tests it dramatically beat old coke Mm -hmm. it wasn't even close so the coke just really yeah it was actually better and blind taste tests everybody picked the new coke the new one yeah they did but they didn't want to. Which the makes best. sense because they wouldn't make that kind of decision without the research. Mm-hmm. Coke mm-hmm. is a big company. Yeah. Okay. But it turns out we don't really want the best. We just want what we already know. Uh, we already have luggage or, or hib- habits, and those habits might be holding you back from the best. Why didn't they just put the new Coke in the old can? <laughs> and not tell them. Yeah. They thought they were actually going to get a big, bigger market share. Yeah. It and, dropped. It went and it down. Dropped. Yeah. And then they Remember came that? out with the classic and the new Coke. Yeah. And side by side, and nobody was buying the new Coke. No. I'll just go with the classic. No. I know that one. 
And I wonder what that guy's doing now. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Had they done it differently, they could have probably brought that other line in yeah. as a as a an, an alternative. Mm-hmm. But it just shows that we're we're creatures of habit, and ninety five percent of what we do is based on what we've already done. And so that also works with investing. So if you're investing a certain way, you're comfortable doing it that way. It may not be the best, but you're used to it. So a perfect example, I had a a client, she was around 92 or three years old, and she left very little money in the bank account. Mm -hmm. And she had all her money invested in, a lot of it in our dividend fund, and mainly equity funds, even though she's 94. And her thinking is, oh, this is safer, because the bank account, you don't make any money. And she's absolutely right. You don't make any money in the bank account and you lose to inflation. Most people would say, that's crazy. The stock market's way riskier than leaving it in the bank account. Mm-hmm. But she had always invested that way. Yeah. So her behavior had saying, this is the best way to invest. She brought that to the table. That was her normal. Mm-hmm. Thinking of going into a bank account was not normal. Yeah. And yet most people would go the other way. Yeah. Safety first, I'll put it in the bank account. So at the end of the day, when it comes to your portfolio, you should really buy what you don't know. Most people buy what they already know. So if you are in the tech business, say Nortel, perfect example, tons of people in Nortel bought their own stock. Okay. Um, and of course, we all know what happened there. People that are in, they actually looked at the provinces and states. People out west buy resource funds. Mm. And it was kind of interesting. I, I, I inherited an account that came from Calgary. And they had 50% in our Canadian resource fund. Mm-hmm. Yet I hardly even use that fund. I figure it's already represented enough in just a general fund. Yeah. But that's what they know. Sure. So they invest there. Um, and then it's better not to know what you own. Because when you start, if you start researching it too much, you're really second-guessing the fund manager. Yeah. Let him do his job. That's what, you know. And one, one thing that we've all heard, probably from a grandmother, is sleep on it. Sleep on it and wait 24 to 48 hours. And you think about it, if, you're, if anybody's ever been to a timeshare meeting, when do they want you to sign up? Okay. As soon as they give you the camera. Yeah. <laughs> this doesn't qual- – you can't qualify for this unless you sign right now. I remember going to one of those. That's Be- funny. And the same with investing. If somebody's talking to you about a certain type of investment and it, and it sounds like the best thing, best to sleep on it, you're subconscious. We'll work on that all the way through and come up with some very good questions to ask that you were kind of emotional at the time and you weren't able to ask. So so quite often we actually, number four was we often overlook simple solutions. And I know Andy and I, when we're dealing with a financial plan, we're looking at all options, whether it's tax planning, is that a, the way to attack it? Maybe it's changing your investments. Mm-hmm. Maybe looking at income splitting. Maybe that's another option. We're looking at a whole slew of solutions because we have access to a lot of solutions. Um, The example they used in this case was if you ever looked at the space shuttle and everything was beautiful, like nice and white, except for the fuel. It was uh, kind of like a a bronzy, rusty container. Mm -hmm. And the reason was is they wanted to look at what... They need to lose 600 pounds. Mm-hmm. And they're looking at all ways we can reduce weight. Maybe we make the metal thinner. What about the heat deflectors? Yeah. What can we do? Maybe take take out some chairs, whatever it is. I didn't know. I wasn't there. But it turned out some guy on the line simply said, 600 pounds? That's easy. Just don't paint the fuel tank. Yeah, yeah. It takes 600 pounds of paint to paint that thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, 
simplest solution. Yeah. It turned out that's what they used. And, and none of the real scientists were looking at that option at all. And sometimes when we're looking at a financial plan. And the tanks come off before it goes to space, so it's not needed anyway. There exactly. It's yeah. just off. Yeah. But yeah. for the picture, it wasn't yeah. that pretty. Yeah. And sometimes some of our solution estate planning is, well, is there any reason we're not just giving the money to the kids now? Yeah. Right. That might be a simple solution. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do, they're like 50 years old. Um, they're going to get it when the, between now and when you die, which might be 55, 60, 70. Do you trust them? Yeah. Well, why don't we give some money now? Mm-hmm. That, that's a good way to have a state plan too. Yeah. So these are all the things and, and really it comes down to getting the right behavior. And it's interesting. I, I had a chance to talk about this to uh, somebody I met 22 years ago. His name is Ron Carsons. He's out at Omaha, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And he is one of the most successful financial planners, period. Okay. At the time, 22 years ago, his amount of clients' money invested at the time was just short of a billion, hmm. billion dollars, which in Canadian terms is like quite, quite large. Now he's running about 20 billion. It's, it's insane. And he's only about my age, 55. And he went through a checklist of what a real financial planner does. What kind of value do they add to your portfolio? So one thing that definitely goes on is rebalancing your investments. Well, rebalancing your investments adds about 0.2% to a person's return. Another is simply the cost of investing. That's already built in. So if you're going to do it yourself, yeah, you can save that. Maybe you can buy an index fund or something. Or if you get a financial planner to do it, it's going to cost you about 0.4%. The cost to create a financial plan in the first place is about 0.7% in reviewing that every year, making sure it's updated. Tax planning adds about 0.8% to a person's return. So if you add up all those different things that are dealing with a financial planner, it works out to 2.1%, which is you know reasonable. It's a fair bit of money, but they added one more line to it. Keeping clients from making behavioral mistakes. Hmm getting them to stay in when the market's down, um, getting them to not be greedy and get into other investments just because they say the tech area currently is very strong. Well, I can't tell you how many times, we, oh, maybe we should go more tech. We're hearing that more often. Or weed, yeah, weed or Bitcoin not long ago. Yeah. That adds another 2% on an annual basis to a person's return, which totally correlates with the Delbar reports that we've talked about in the future in the, in the past. So the value of an investor literally adds 4.1% per year to a person's return. And just put that in perspective, if you're averaging, say, 7% a year, which is a reasonably good long-term performance, the value of the investor is actually adding another 4% to that Mm -hmm. based on all the things that they're doing. Whether one is behavioral investing, you wouldn't lose because you're not making mistakes, because so, very few people get seven because they are, are trying to run their own money. The other side of it is money you'd gain because of a proper tax plan and follow-up and estate plan and doing all those things. So at the end of the day, it really you, you really are looking at trying to create uh, an objective estate plan, um, a financial plan rather. And when I say objective, trying to get the emotion out, trying to look at all your biases and make sure you're not simply 
going with the Coke Classic, mm-hmm. okay, rather than the new Coke. The new Coke might have been way better, but you've got all these biases. And if we can look at it, and I, I look at our clients now, they come in with a portfolio. And for example, they say, okay, I, I've always done GICs, and that's what I'm comfortable with. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, is it, a, is it really a getting your objectives of saving tax? Are you comfortable in the fact that your net worth would have been double had you've done it a different way? But people don't see what they've lost. They only see what they have currently. So if they had a GIC portfolio for, say, the last 20 years, and they've averaged, I'll call it 3.5%, well, had they have received about, say, a a 5.5% return in a diversified portfolio, their net worth in terms of their investments would literally have been double. But they don't see that other half. Mm-hmm. So if they had a four hundred thousand dollars of investments, they would have had eight hundred thousand. Had they have <clears throat> simply talked to a financial planner and left their biases at the front door, mm-hmm. and said, "Okay, you're the expert. What should I do?" And maybe GICs would be part of it. Okay, and we go over comfort levels, and you look at what are the objectives. If it's a short term, for example, you want to buy a car in the next. Uh, Three years, GIC is perfect. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put some money in. I, I can't afford volatility. I got the car already picked out, and I'm going to put 20 grand into GIC. It matures three years. I'm buying a car. Great idea. No, no problems with that. And even better, might be a TFSA, so mm-hmm. it grows tax free. Okay, but to use that as okay, this is my long term plan, and uh, generally my my health is good, and I, I could live to 80, 90, who knows, maybe even longer. GICs are actually one of the riskiest investments because they, after tax and after inflation, after inflation, they have negative returns. Mm-hmm. So it really comes down to doing what's best and, and trying to get that that investment portion, sort of that behavioral portion, out of it. And it's difficult. And this is why, again, going back to what I said earlier. of men thought they were funnier than average, (laughs) okay? It goes back to that because that's that's actually what we bring to the table. And yet we try to use that kind of biases on how should we do a financial plan. And we wouldn't do that on a lot of other subjects, but when it comes to money, it's such an emotional subject that people often have a lot of behavioral biases. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now. Leave a message at 905-529-7165. They will get back to you. And, of course, take a peek at the website, andyanddon.com. Five money management lessons from the NHL. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Well, hockey season is upon us. It is. And everybody's excited. Mm-hmm. The euphoria, the expectations going all the way. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's a brand new crop of young NHL players that have yeah. been come in, and they're going to save the day as well mm-hmm. <laughs> for whichever team you're voting for. Uh, and the Leafs have never looked so good. Yeah, they do. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to say no biases here or anything, mm-hmm. right? We're 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 open minded. Uh, and but what's fascinating about hockey players is typically when they get signed on to the NHL. 
They end up with a very favorable contract or mm-hmm. a fairly rich contract. And the one thing that they obviously have to be careful of too is how long will their career last? Yeah. Right? And so good money management, good money management is going to be important. And so I came across this article and I thought, well, that's, that was kind of cute. But if I, the five key things that we can learn in terms of money management from, um, from the NHL players. And <clears throat> so I guess there's stories out there about, you know, high profile seven figure salary hockey players that have ended up going bankrupt. Yeah. And two names that were included in the article were Jack Johnson and Darren McCarty, mm-hmm. uh, former players that um, are now in the business of advising young players on money management as well. So, um, the first one, the first piece of advice is do not rush into financial decisions. And I think the key thing they're saying here is do your research, uh, spend some time at this. Most people will get introduced to a financial planner either through a referral or through a contact or dissatisfaction with an existing relationship and now they're looking for somebody else. But understanding what op- investment options are available to you, interviewing different firms and individuals, and then only do what you're comfortable with. And I guess at the end of the day, too, you don't need to do it all in one, at once. Take six months, take a year, uh, and then deploy your investments slowly over time. Hmm. Okay. Uh, number so two. So does that mean no Muskoka Cottage and Boat? Yeah. <laughs> because I think they all have How one, do you, don't Where they? do you spend the summer, I guess, yeah. right? What are you going to do? <laughs> Trailer on a lake. <laughs> uh, number two is live within your means. And I think this is obviously particularly interesting for NHL players. You now have a six-figure salary, yeah. and it's it's easy, as, as they point out here, to fall into the trap of trying to keep up with the Joneses. And so if you've got other players on a team that have – you know, you might be making a million dollars, but if they're making five or six million dollars a year and you're trying to keep up with them in terms mm, of their spending yes. and lifestyle habit, you're going the wrong direction pretty quickly. There's the elite players and then there's the ones just, just making the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, um, so the main thing here is really, you know, living within your means means, you know, not changing your lifestyle, not buying the Muskoka Cottage right away. You need to take some time here and, and understand exactly where you are relative to your needs and your spending. Um, number three is uh, help friends and family, but down the road. Mm. Help friends and family, but down the road. Uh, you, you know, if you're taking care of your own finances up front, and this is true, I think, for doesn't matter, anybody is that you're going to be in a lot better position to help people later on in life if you've taken the time to really do your own due diligence and do your own planning. And I see a lot of pre-retirees, you know, wanting to help out their children and gifting to them and constantly supporting. And maybe it's private school or helping them with their phone, helping them with their car payments. And, you know, to the detriment of their own retirement. And to, in fact, they may end up having to come back to their kids looking for help later on in life. But if you're in a good solid position, we'll be able to tell you that. And then you can decide about gifting and helping out family and friends. Number four is pay close attention to your cash flow. And, you know, this is, I guess, the thing when, when you're, these guys are making a lot of money, but there's a lot of money going out the window for, out mm-hmm. the door for expenses, et cetera, and lifestyle, I'm sure, too. But like we do with the financial plan, you really want to start with the end in mind. What do you want your lifestyle to look like during your retirement phase? 
And then let's work backwards from there to see how much do we need to set aside? What do we need to be doing in terms of um, uh, setting aside money for your retirement? But paying attention to where the money is going today, it's the old pay ourselves first rule. Put the money aside. What's left over you can have fun with, but make sure we're taking care of the future. And then number five is budget for a longer retirement than you anticipate. Mm-hmm. And I guess a hockey player's career, I mean, it could end when they're 30. Yeah. It could end when they're 35. Maybe at 40. I don't know. But at the end of the day. 25. Yeah, yeah 25. Exactly. I mean, one one could, big injury. Yeah. They could be retired for 60 years, mm-hmm. where the average person, you know, maybe is retired for 30 years. So they're going to be retired potentially twice as long. Heading into a second career then, if they have to, or in many cases they have to. Or they want to. Or they want to, right? So, but if you're in financial position to be able to have enough set aside to anticipate a long retirement, then there are options then when you come into that second stage, no issues at all. You can decide, do I want to work or I don't have to work? And that's the same thing for us regular folk who mm-hmm. are going to be saving for retirement. We know we're all living longer, so making sure we're budgeting for that longer retirement as well. So good luck, Leafs. Hope you do it. (laughs) (laughs) We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. They will return your call. You can also ask a question via their website, andyanddon.com just look for the listener inquiry button and you can also hear old shows on the website as well we're coming right back we are planning your financial future i'm scott thompson andy lister and don fox are here from investors group financial services inc call now leave a message at 905-529-7165 and don't forget the website at andyanddon.com talking about maslow's higher uh archy <laughs> Uh, hierarchy of need, financial needs. There you go. Maslow's hierarchy of financial needs. All right, there you go. Easy for you to say. (laughs) Can you read that? Because I'm having a hard time reading (laughs) No, I cannot quite make that out. I should use my other foot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure if uh, any of the listeners have heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It actually, I remember it in psychology class way back in university. It was developed in 1945 by Maslow. And basically, it says that people will get to the one need first before they go on to the next need. Mm -hmm. So if they have money, they'll look after psychological needs first, which would be physiological needs, rather, which are food, water, warmth, and rest. That's the first thing. And so if you've got money, you've got to look after that. Next is safety needs, such as security or safety. Well, I'll be in a nicer house. At least it's a nice neighborhood. No, you know, there's no... Nobody with uh, knives or any records, uh, criminal records next door, so they'll look for a better neighborhood. Um, thirdly is belongingness and love needs. Well, I guess I got enough money I can date now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so intimate relationships and friends, and they become far more important once you get the other first two out of the way. And then you get through that, and there's the esteem needs, uh, prestige, a feeling of an accomplishment, mm-hmm. of accomplishing a goal, maybe at work. Uh, maybe you had something written about you. Um, some, you know, you got a trophy, whatever it might be for. And finally, self-actualization is the hierarchy. That's the pinnacle of this. And it's basically a pyramid. And it shows that that is when you achieve one's full potential, include, including creative activities. So this has been always humans' hierarchy of needs because our, we're not, most animals simply just try to feed themselves and live somewhere and and hunter and gather and do it again the next day. And and again, and that's what makes humans different. Well, when it comes to financial planning, 
we also have this hierarchy. And you look at the very bottom would be called managing the money. Have a first thing you have to do as a financial planner, your financial sh- planner should be looking at who the money manager selection. Okay, who, who are the managers of, say, the mutual fund? Then it is asset allocation. Okay, should we have how much US, is US, how much a European, how much Canadian, how much fixed income? And we create this allocation based on your risk tolerance. Insurance, do you have the proper amount of life insurance or disability insurance or critical illness? Debt, are we managing your debt properly and working out a debt repayment schedule that would be most beneficial? Taxes, what's the best way to pay the least amount of income tax? Debt management, again, um, two ways. One is one's a debt is is a good debt and one's a bad debt mm-hmm. and looking which is the difference between the two. And finally, cash flow. What's coming in and where's it all going? That should be the bare basics of your financial planner. So when you're first starting out, you should all get that done. And I know Annie and I always do that. It's called a personal financial review and all the data is put into this sheet or onto, onto, a, onto our program. Then you go to the next level, achieving goals. Well, what are, what's all this money for? Okay, we're, we're getting by, we're paying our bills, so what do we need this money for? Well, college for the kids. Okay, well, how many kids do you have? And accomplishing that goal of what's the best way, to maybe RESPs are generally the best way, of and how much should we set aside per month for achieving that goal? So now they have a goal attached to this money. Um, healthcare, that's really more of a U.S. thing. Thankfully, in Canada, most of our healthcare is paid for, but perhaps there's chiropractic or or other types of things that you need more cash for that. Um, retirement. What's your retirement going to look like? Does it mean travel? Does it mean you're doing your hobbies? Maybe you're, does it mean you're going to work a long time or are you going to retire at 55? Trying to find out how, what is exactly the retirement you want. Estate planning. Uh, Andy went over a, a lot about the will planning and what does your estate plan should look like with grandkids, with split fit, blended families, uh, making sure you have a proper plan. Charity. How are we going to uh, leave some money to charity if that's a goal of yours? And what's the best way to do that so that you get the best tax advice? So that would be the next level. Peace of mind is the, the second last level. And now it's like taking care of loved ones. Okay, now that we have this money, we've accomplished these goals, how do we make sure it goes to the right people? And making sure everything's organized. It's such a great feeling. And it's peace of mind knowing your finances are organized so you don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. It's all listed. We have a game plan. This is what we're doing. More dec- discretionary time. The peace of mind knowing that I can just go have fun. I can just go vacation. I don't have to worry about this because my financial planner is looking after all those basics of achieving my goals and managing my money. And freedom from worry, which again allows you to have more discretionary time because you're not worrying about your money all the time. Because... It's written down, here's your financial plan, here's our assumptions. You don't have to worry because we've done all the planning for you um, and we've done Monte Carlo analysis. You, 10 ways a Sunday, you can retire with peace of mind. And finally, the last in this hierarchy would be accomplish, accomplishing life's purpose. So you are there. What is your real purpose in life? Is it that you want to leave a, a legacy? Do you want to leave uh, your name on a building? Do you want to have a hospital wing after you? Do you want to make sure your grandkids can have their education looked after without having to impose any stress on their parents, which would be your kids? Really looking after your life's purpose so that when you eventually pass away, you have that great fulfillment that that's looked after. And finally, leaving a legacy. 
So accomplishing life's purpose and leaving a legacy might go hand in hand, but it might be uh, leaving a legacy is what I guess uh, a whole lot of people try to do, um, maybe like the Groot School of Business. Um, Michael DeGroote's left a legacy mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And so when, you, when you're dealing with your financial planner, they should be looking at all these aspects. But the first level, managing the money. That's just the bare boat basics. We are going to get that done. And that's normal for everybody. Then it's going, what are we using this money for? Then peace of mind and then fulfillment. In that order, and then you'll have a great life. I feel better now. Don't you? <laughs> we have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com, to listen to old shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll Thank see you, you next Scott. week. Scott.